You're listening to the Sonic Ninjas podcast. Follow us on Instagram at the Sonic Ninjas and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sonic Ninjas. All right, all right. Hello, Facebook land. What's happening, everybody out in Facebook land? How are you doing there, Bradley Dean? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Yeah, you look good. You look healthy. You look good. I like your beard. It's getting nice and long. Yeah, that's from my <laughs> wife and her fabulous trimming capability. She's very skilled with a little set of scissors. Yeah? <laughs> For real? What's that? For real? For real. See yeah, that? because if I get the beard trimmer out and I try to do anything, I I don't do maintenance well, so I'll just shave it off and start over. Well, see, I've been, since the whole lockdown started, I uh, I was looking for uh, clippers, and it took, like, I don't know, the, everywhere was sold out. I will go to any, any store, I will go online to every store, and nobody will have it. Finally, I ordered one. It was supposed to arrive, like, two weeks later. I anxiously waited, and two days before it was supposed to arrive, and it said in, in transit, oh, yeah, there's been, something came up, and it will not arrive, and, and we're sold out. So next, thing, so next thing you know, it's like, I, this is why I'm wearing a hat, too, because my hair is unruly. But finally, two weeks past that, it just shows up, even though it said it was going to show up a month later now. It shows up two weeks later, and now I kind of don't want to, I kind of like letting, I'm not cutting it. I, I kind of, I'm going to let it be. Your inner 80s self? I got my 80s self, but I got the, the sideburns of Elvis, I guess. They're like growing a lot. So yeah, you got those. You always had those, so. Yeah, now they're just gray. <laughs> hey, mine too. They're starting to get this, so I'd be, we'll be pretty close now, pretty soon. Well, well now you got the trimmer, so you don't. There's no excuses. Now there's no excuse, but now I almost feel like I'm rebelling against the fact that they took so long. Now I don't want to cut it. That's right. It's you amazing know? the things that were that have become difficult to find and get now. Well, and yeah, it started with toilet paper. Remember. What's that? It started with toilet paper first. I know, and I still don't understand that one, but... Me neither. But anyway. But the strangest things are like not available to us. But anyway, moving on from that, what else have you been up to uh, at home? Have you been uh, doing any recording or playing? What have you been up to? Yeah, I just spent the last three hours right before this, you know, with a friend of mine. We were in here cutting some guitar and, and uh, doing a little recording. That's so cool. that's kind of what I've been doing now. Spending time in my studio. If I'm not recording somebody, then I just sit in here and play guitar, bass, whatever. Are you recording any any of your new stuff, or or you just been? Uh, I know you did a um, last time we played a, a cover of the Johnny Cash song. That's right. That was pretty cool. Uh, and it's long overdue else? to do another song. I think so. I think it's time. I think you need to do something. I'm just trying to think of what song what song would be the cool song. I mean, okay, so I got Johnny Cash and then I got Pink Floyd. Those are two. I mean, what do I follow that up with? You Maybe know? bring some bring back some uh, Rothschild America for the fans well, that remember you. Be. I I need I think I need to rock. This one has to rock. I think so too. Well, let's see who's joining us right now. We got uh, Jason Reynolds, Nancy Mancine, Michael Sweeney, Otto Arias. Remember Otto? He was a production manager for Jay Balvin. He's with us too. Yep. Nancy Mancine, Michael Sweeney. Oh, you're, you're playing. Remember Otto? 
He was a production manager for Jay Baldwin. He's with us too. Yep. Nancy Mancine, Michael Sweeney. Sorry. Mute your audio, my, hot shot. My audio <laughs> popped up when I opened up the window. I know. I know. Yeah, but uh, to see the messages, if anybody writes anything, we'll be able to see them only when you're in the large window anyway. So go ahead and make it large and then just mute it. It's large. Okay, cool. It's large and muted. Awesome. So you've been recording. That's, that's cool. I've been trying to stay busy doing the same. Uh, before I forget, the music you heard at the beginning was by our good friend. Uh, he's our guitar player with Enrique also, uh, Jeff Subaru, and his project Patrito. Uh, that's the music you heard at the beginning. Uh, he's been gracious enough to let us use his, his song. Uh, the song is called Auto Water and it's available, of course, in all platforms in case you want to check it out. The band Petrito, Auto Water. So thank you, Jeff, for allowing us to use your amazing music. Um, and so, you yeah. mixed it. And it's I mixed that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to go straight out there and say it, but thank you, Bradley Dean. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he, I was working on all, some of his stuff as well, so I'm mixing his, his latest uh, project as well. Uh, it's turning out really good. And, and uh, of course, as usual, you, you and I are always trading, you know, uh, we help each other, you know, kind of checking mixes out for each other and making sure we're all in the, in the ballpark and, you know, always sharing our, our, our knowledge, you know, which is kind of what this whole thing is about. You know, we're uh, sharing it online now, trying to just have a conversation with anybody who has questions or or just you know share our, what we what we learned throughout the years without any any restrictions or any any kind of um, format really when you think about it. So. Yeah, and I enjoy getting your comments back when I send you a mix because I may send you the mix thinking you're going to comment on this. This is what I want to hear about, and then you'll you'll totally not even you'll say that sounds killer, and you'll comment about something that I never thought you would comment on. Yeah, because is, we get we get fixated sometimes. We get without I mean unwillingly we get kind of cut up on like on what we feel is the right thing or what or a certain like the drums only or like this and that and then because I'm not I have no relationship with the song and I hear it fresh, then my perspective is gonna be different than yours. And that goes the same when I send you a song, right? Hey, check this out. I kind of feel that this is an issue or or check it out. I won't say a word to see what you say, but in my mind I'm thinking what are you going to comment on? And it's usually, we always comment on things that we don't think we're going to comment on. Exactly. It's kind of like when you stand in front of a house and you're mixing the show and you can't get the hi-hat right. And the hi-hat's driving you crazy. <laughs> and then what? And then you offer me to give me what? Your preset. <laughs> the hi-hat preset. No, but how many times have you been standing mixing something? Okay, for me, I'm mixing front of house and I'm standing there and I'm listening to the show and I get fixated on one thing. And so the moment I step away from the console and I, I try to listen to the show from the audience perspective, it all goes away. Yeah. You know, taking those couple steps back away from the desk, put me in the audience. Or sometimes I'll walk over to the edge of the barricade and stand right next to somebody that's just, you know, obviously enjoying the show. And I, so I just walk over there and stand next to them. I'm like, okay, they're digging it. So I think it's good. I'm just going to leave it. Well, you know? we're, we're, we're very picky with, with what we do. We're very uh, uh, detail-oriented, and we, we're, we're the hardest critics of our own work, I think. And that's, uh, 
something that I guess keeps us trying to always strive for being better and being uh, better at what we do. You know, I, I think that's a good thing to have. I mean, it could bite us in the ass too because if we get too too picky and then we just just so focused on that one thing that really doesn't make it or break it in the in the context, that right. could be not beneficial also. But we. I think as we learn and as we as years go by and we figure things out, then I think now we know that, you know, we know when it's too much. When are we like, oh, but no, I'm supposed to, I got to really make this one instrument sound like this when, and then we're going to let everything pass through. No, we have to always pay attention to the whole picture, the big picture, right? Yep. But then you have to look at the audience too. And when you look at the audience and you realize that, they're not picking out those individual things that you're focusing on. Yeah. You know, they're one man running around singing, screaming, yelling. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. I agree. I agree. Same, same on my side. You know, it's like, I got to make sure that my artists and the band members are happy. I could be, maybe I'm hearing something that they're not even hearing and I'm hearing it, you know, and exactly. I try not to get caught up on that and just kind of go with the music and, and make sure everything's okay. But, uh, yep. so, on that note that we were talking about how you you even you know go out of your spot quickly to kind of listen to what the audience member is listening to uh, I know that you you use you know certain songs or whatever to kind of get that PA optimized besides getting the usual you know running it with your system engineer getting all the technical aspect you know everything all the alignments and everything but because well, what we discussed on our previous episode one and two that we always come up with this is, is about the music so on soundcheck or before our actual soundcheck but when you're listening to the pa as as i will do also mixing from the house is with the certain songs that really connect with us that we're very familiar with and i know for you it's a uh, uh, pink floyd right so so tell me and tell everybody about about kind of why you use them why you use a particular song and is the is the connection mostly because the mix and technically is great? Is it because there's an emotional connection as well? Or there's the musicality, dynamics? Uh, I mean, elaborate on that. Tell me why you use that those songs in particular. All right. So the the songs that I use are uh, "Hey You," "Another Brick in the Wall," Part One, "The Happiest Days of Our Lives," "Another Brick in the Wall," Part Two. And then waiting for the worms. Okay, so first thing, the album is mixed incredible. Uh, sonically, it's to me, it's like a perfect sounding record. I like the dynamics of the record. I like the way it gets quiet, it gets loud. And it's not mastered in such a way that it's just, you know, it's squashed. So it's very, it's very open sounding. And I know what it should sound like. So Hey You is my first song that I put on. With that song, by the time that song's over, I pretty much know that, okay, I'm in a great starting spot. The PA sounds good. I'm going to spin up my mix and it's going to be where it needs to be. Now, given the nature of our shows and the way we travel and the logistics of the day itself sometimes... By the time we've gotten to the point where I'm actually listening to the PA, you know, it could have been a very long afternoon of trying to make the left side of the PA sound like the right side or, 
you know, making the console work or, or something to where when I put the music on, it's kind of like I can just take that breath now and I can relax. And I know that now I'm going to move on to the next part of my day, which is what I call the most enjoyable time of the day for me, because I can sit in front of the PA and just listen to the music that I love and know. So from, you know, Hey You into Another Brick in the Wall Part One, which is a very mellow thing, and there's a lot of space and there's not a lot going on, but it's kind of like it's the enjoyment factor of listening to the music. And it actually, it removes all the bad shit out of my head that, that I've just gone through to get to this point. And it's actually become more of a ritual now to go, you know, to go through all four or five of those tracks. And I, what I really love is watching the crew come out and actually sit down and, you know, listen to the music. And Waiting for the Worms was just one that I added in there, you know, just because it, it's kind of like, okay, we're, you know, we're getting close to doors now. We're going to do our line check and sound check. We're waiting for the people now, you know, and it's, I don't know. It's almost so, as if when, when you play that's those songs, the people working the arena and the crew and everybody, all of a sudden they immediately feel connected as well. All of a sudden it kind of, it kind of eases. Yes. It, it, it probably it's the same feeling that you get. Probably a few people get it as well. I would assume. It eases the stress and the tension because it's Pink Floyd. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I don't know, some of the most emotional music that I listen to. And it just invokes that sense of, you know, Ah, the passion and the—I don't know. I, I used to try. I just, used to EQ. I used to just to test a PA back in the day. I used to use Deftone Shove It, <laughs> and I loved it. Of course, the mix was amazing, but I could see sometimes the people around me going, "Oh my God, really? Do you need to play this right now?" Not because they didn't like the music or nothing, but because I would blast it to the PA to kind of get. Dial up my EQ after the system or whatever, you know, it was all done. And you're blasting it. And I was like, you know, blasting. So I was like, okay, this is, I have to stop that. So I, I switched later to um, what I'm doing from the house, which has been a while now, uh, pop culture by Thomas Dolby. Yep, uh, I used that for a while. I used that for mostly really kind of check the mids and the, lo the low end. And uh, I use uh, Up uh, by uh, uh, Shania Twain great album as far as a mix goes and then i will use money for nothing by dire straits ah you know i would just kind of run through the three of them they were slightly different but they you know they kind of gave me a guideline of what i wanted to hear but that was just kind of how i will do it but i i like the fact in why you do your what what your choice was i think that connection with the music and the dynamics makes a big difference i think and also it's not a song that is super loud, but it has all the instrumentation there, right? That's it. There's so many little things going on when that when the PA is dialed in correctly and you hear all those little nuances in the stereo spread, it's like you know that that PA is is tuned. I exactly. have a I have a little clip that I'm not I don't remember if I took it or you took it, but I have a little clip of that and maybe we can play it. Hopefully they won't Facebook won't shut us down, but I'll play well, for a little bit. Let's do it. Let's try it. And I think you're using here, uh, I see the Shadow Hills. Uh -huh. Also, I think you're going for the... Oh, yeah. There's some... Okay. 
Yeah, Shadow Hills, and then it's into the Brainworks Digital V3. And there's the Fatso and the Lemon. Yeah, very simple. Mixed bus chain. Yep. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's a killer song. And you know, you know when the lighting guy gets yeah. into the music it's, that you're playing to listen to the PA that you're doing something right because those guys don't pay attention to anything. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Cassian might be listening. Don't say it. Or Travis. Oh well. Yeah, I love. Uh, I know we we love them all. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's killer. And of course, me being on that other side of the, of the snake and listening to those songs is always pretty cool. You know, I. I uh, and like you said, it, it's, it's, it serves the purpose, but at the same time, it, it relaxes, given sometimes a stressful day or a travel day I, or whatever. And I think more it's, than anything. Yeah. That it's the transition from the chaos into the peaceful, you know, side of the day. I, it's like yeah. take a big deep breath. Everything's cool. The PA's working. It sounds the same on both sides. And now we're going to move on to the next thing. But also, you were you were a major Pink Floyd fan, obviously, right? A huge Pink Floyd fan, yeah. So I when, am. When did you see him? Oh, you saw? Didn't you see Roger Waters not too long ago? I did. Well, maybe a year ago or something like that, right? Roger Waters. Yeah. How was that? Awesome. It was. It was amazing. Yeah. Yes. So let me just so I don't so I don't forget about this. Oh. Oh, we got Raul here. Yeah, we got we got Cesar Sobe, too. Amazing mixer, uh, great guy. We got Bruce. Bruce Nelms. Rob. I work with Bruce. Man, there's a lot of people signing up here really quick. Right, this, here's a question. Um, actually, this is from Cesar. Cesar What's Sobe. Um, Brad, how did you go from musician to house engineer? Oh my. <laughs> This is, a, this is a good story. Go for it. All right. So I'll, I'll try to make this short. Good luck with that, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's 1990. It's 1996, and I moved to Los Angeles. Oh, I wasn't born yet, I think. Well, okay. <laughs> to join a band called the Back Alligators, who had a record deal. We made a record. Record company says, we're not putting it out because we don't know what to do with it. Story of my life. Uh my manager at the time, okay, so now I got to pay the bills. I'm in LA. I'm not back East in Los Angeles. I rented an apartment that was way more than I could afford, but it, everything happened so fast that I took it. And so my manager says, Hey, could you tour manage? And I'm thinking, tour manage. Okay. Babysitting grown men. Yeah. I think I can handle that because my baby <laughs> could never afford a tour manager. So guess what? I was the guy who had to wake everybody up and book hotel rooms and make sure we got to the gig. And so I go to the meeting and I'm thinking, tour managing, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tour manage. But at some point during the meeting, the manager says, oh, we need somebody to mix. Can you do that? And I said, yes, I can. And then inside I'm going, what did I just say? Yes, <laughs> I can mix. Because the tour that I was about to go on, the band was opening second stage on Lollapalooza. So it wasn't like I was going to go do, you know, you know, whatever, a, a bar band doing a club tour. I was going to Lollapalooza second stage. And 
that was my transition, although I didn't know it at the time, because to me, I was just taking a gig to pay the rent. And, you know, I did, did the gig and then I come back to, back home and then somebody else would say, hey, do you want to do our band? Because obviously I did learn to mix on that tour. You know, I said I could do it, but then I had to figure it out. So I'll back up just a little bit because this is a pretty important part of the story. So the whole time we're driving across the country to go to Lollapalooza, there's one club show booked. And all I can think of in my head is, hey, I got a club show to, to fail miserably before I get to Lollapalooza. Well, we walk into the club, and so I walk over to the console, and I don't even remember what it was, but I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. I can figure this out. A couple comps and gates, and maybe there's a little Soundcraft desk. And the club show gets canceled. And I'm thinking, great, now my first show is going to be Lollapalooza second stage. And this was 90, this was 97, I guess, or 96. I can't remember. Anyway, I think Devo was on the main stage. Tool was on the main stage. And so I'm walking up the front of house and the whole time I'm thinking, how am I going to, how am I going to say to this guy that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing without coming out and say, Hey, by the way, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, so I'm walking up here and it's a Midas XL 200 and it's like the biggest console that I've ever seen. And there's just knobs from one end to the other. And there's a whole rack of outboard gear and I'm just shaking. And I step up on the platform and I said, hey, you know, my name's Brad. I'm just so you know, I'm more of a tour manager than a mixer. But, you know, if you just show me around, I think I'd be able to figure this out. And he's like, oh, sure. And he just took me from the input all the way down to the fader and show me how everything worked. And that's how I ended up, you know, being a mixer. It was that first gig. Wow. But that just guy like, must have been like, he was a cool guy though, because anybody else probably would have just said, but, I, but you know, I, obviously I wasn't going to go up there and say, Hey man, I, you know, I got this. I'll be cool because I would have failed miserably. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I did odd jobs for sound companies in between my band touring or making records. And I mixed little acts. I knew the concept and I knew the principles, but I also felt that I had a good ear from being a musician. So I knew what I wanted things to sound like. I just couldn't look at an XL 200 and figure out how to get there. But once he showed me and he showed me that, Hey, it's just one strip and it's 48 of them and they're all the same. I'm like, Oh hell, this is nothing. <laughs> you know, and I started bringing stuff up. I brought the kick drum up and I'm like, Oh, okay. And, you know, guitars and vocals, and I'm sure it wasn't the greatest mix, but it must have been okay because, you know, it led me to, you know, being here today. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's how I went from being a musician to being a mixer. It was not planned. It was strictly to pay the rent. But some, somewhere along the way, I realized that, you know what, this is fun too. I'm able to be creative and people seem to like what I'm doing and I'm surrounded by musicians I like doing this. I'm just going to go. I'm going to see where this goes. Now, with and all now, of this, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Now with the quarantine, I feel like I've come full circle because what am I doing now? I'm sitting back in my studio making music, you know, which is what started me on this whole journey. It's kind of a crazy thing. But again, I'm still having fun. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that you, because 
sometimes there's been times where we actually I should have put that in there. I didn't put that in there, but we had like jam sessions on, after sound checks or when there was no sound check, we just kind of jam a little bit. But yeah. uh, uh, you know, I've always known that you're a musician, so it, it's good to know how it all started too for anybody who didn't know. And then, didn't you used to be in a, a pretty well known heavy band called Rothschild America? Right? What is English now? Oh, I think Rothschild. I don't know, man. I don't. Yeah, there was a man there, but yep. And I was I... in Kicks, played on their second record. Then I was in Rothschild, and then I we changed our name to Souls at Zero. Did a couple more records, and then back Alligators, and now here I am mixing reggaeton. That's right. <laughs> awesome. That's it. That's pretty so that's cool story. I wish my story was that exciting. You know what? It's scary <laughs> as hell, though, at times. Of course. Of course. It's, and when I look back on it now, I'm just thinking, man, how did I, like, how did I pull that off? But not, but not pretending and but not, but asking, by asking questions and by, you know. Yep, the guy could have been, a, he could have just said, you know what, buddy, figure it out on your own. What am I here to teach you how to mix? You know, but he, and you know what? It was at that moment that I realized that, you know what? I'm going to be, there's no reason to be, to not be nice to everybody that I ever come in contact with on my way up or my way down, because we're all just in it trying to make music and enjoy ourselves. I could not agree more. And that's one of the things that I, I was talking with uh, someone the other day at, at another uh, get-together online, probably a Zoom meeting, that, uh, you know, first of all, I never wanted to be that guy who works, let's say, at a, at a local club or venue, any kind of venue, where you treat people not good or, or are just rude or you think you're just like hot shit and just, you know, that, that kind of mentality. And I've been through all of it. I've been, because I used to be in the band as well, not as renowned as yours but I, I used to be in a band and we used to play in all these fairly big venues and <clears throat> and they would always have this attitude like it, it was always like they were the best thing that ever happened in in audio or whatever they would always sometimes say oh no you you don't get to choose these microphones you because you're this kind of band you just use these and that's what we allow you to use these other mics are too good for you like, they would say things like that, and we were like, the venue was sold out, for instance. It was like, dude, what, why do you have to be that way? Don't be that guy. Don't be the angry guy who thinks that knows everything, and you're not willing to share that information. The fact that you bump into this one guy that I wish you had a name, but this one guy who you walked in on a festival, and you say, hey, look, I'm not really familiar. This is, not, uh, this is my first time or whatever, kind of doing it. Help me out. And he's like, sure. He could have just said, you know what, dude, stay over there. I'll do it. Yeah. Which most people get very territorial, right? And he, yeah. he didn't do that. He helped you through the process. It was the first band on the second stage. Jesus. It wasn't like we were even headlining the second stage. Wow. See, that to me leaves a, an incredible mark. And hopefully that yeah. is something that many people can learn from because. I wish know, I could remember his name. I, I want to say it's like Maurice or Mauricio or, or I, I just you know, wish I could. Remember his name and Maybe get a hold should, of him and thank him for him being that guy. We should be, do, get like old de detective detective mode and find him. Find out who the sound company was for Lollapalooza. Yeah. 
and then little by little narrow it down to find that find that guy because honestly you're here now too you know that's that's like those those things that change the path of which way you're going or how things react he was part yeah. part of that you know he was part of it yeah exactly and and wow. uh i think that it's it's something to learn from for sure you know i i don't mind personally when people come and ask me so hey how do you do that I'm like here you know i didn't yeah. invent it you know i just it's just the way we do things it's just how we share things is yep. um let's see let's i see enjoy taking time to show people things absolutely absolutely oh carlos is here steve knight yo steve knight steve knight that might be one of his chairs no, Steve Knight from uh, Flipside. Not the same Steve Knight. Great guy. Um, let's see, Carlos. Raul is here. Yeah, look, look what Carlos is. It can't get more exciting than a small Bose or Boss 80s console with treble and bass. Okay, so the reason he says that, I have to explain a little bit. Carlos, who is uh, Enrique's uh, musical director, he used to be in a band with my cousin, who was a bass player, and my brother, who's a drummer, and two other <laughs> members, a singer and a guitar player. And uh, and I used to mix him in, in this club in, in Peru. I was like 14 or 15 at the time. And basically, the sound company would bring... The mixer was, like he said, a boss line mixer, basically, kind of, like eight <laughs> channels with like little tiny faders it had a pan, treble, bass, and the game. Oh, my. And obviously, it was just like, I think it was just kicks, kick, snare, and vocals. is all I had in there, I think. So uh, that's why he's mentioning that. That was a interesting time, but it was part of my learning experience. I guess part of my, one of my first gigs, you know, if I was to say that. But uh, uh, yeah, that was when Carlos was a shredder. He was an incredible guitar player. I'm sure he that still was is. First just... pro gig with What's Carlos. That? Well, I wouldn't say it was my first one, but it was one of the one of them because my first one will be, uh, I guess, because it, like I said before, it kind of runs in the family. So my parents owned this nightclub, so I kind of I had access to start very early, and that was kind of a pro gig. I was mixing five artists, sometimes four or five artists a night. It was like a variety show kind of thing. Um, and oddly enough, the sound guy they had there, that we had there, was like not cutting it. And, and he would just, my mom would see him walk towards the bar. And he would just lean on the bar and go, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be mixing? with Eddie's there. He kicked me out. Because oh. so, it was always feeding back when he was doing it. And I would go there and somehow I would figure out how to eliminate feedback and still make it sound decent for what I thought was, you know, decent at the time, of course. And and uh, I just made it work somehow. But it was funny that I would say, dude, just get out of here. I'll, I'll do it. And I was like 14. And right at that time, or a little later, is when I started doing stuff for for my brother and, and Carlos and my cousin and stuff. So so it was all part of it, you know. Of course, 20-something years later, I'm working again with, with Carlos, uh, with Enrique. So it's pretty... So Too that's bad a full that video, Carlos. I should put that video, Carlos. Carlos, if you're listening, I think on our next episode, episode four, we might have to play your video. Just to show how much you shred, you know. Uh, he's going to hate me for that, but let's see. Raul's Raul, huh? got a good question. Go for it. 
What do you think are the three most important skills for a front of house engineer? The three most important skills. Okay, so I'm going to say number one is being able to listen to the music. Because you're there to mix the artist. You're not there to make it sound like you think it should sound. You take the elements and make it sound like they sound. So listen is a big part of it. Uh, I also think, and I'm going to say this because I'm a musician, but I think being a musician gives you a little bit of an added bonus on being a mixer, only because it makes you it makes you be more musical about the mix, less technical, more musical. Uh, and I guess third would have to be being able to talk to the artist in their in their language, which I do believe that the fact that I'm a musician gives me a little bit of an edge when it comes to talking to artists because I'm the same as they are. I just happen to be mixing the show now. But in my heart, I'm a musician first. So communication, I, I think, is, the big, is a big part. That's a good skill to have. I agree. That was a great question, too. Uh, and also think yeah i mean that's that's crucial i mean you gotta first of all like like we always say music you gotta listen you know i guess another important skill would be able to deal with whatever is thrown at you that's probably brad he only said three okay. i know but that maybe that should be one of the three <laughs> so that's that's 3.1 okay all right then no no say it say what is it be able to deal with what deal with whatever is thrown at you yeah Okay, only 23 of my 36 inputs work. Well, I only have two compressors and I needed eight. Or this side of the PA sounds completely different than that side. And everybody That's says That's never it's, happened to oh, us. Never. You know, <laughs> you have to just smile and dial and you roll with it. But I mean, I think I, that is a, that's a big skill too to have. Just being able to get on with it. To deal with situations and, and without blowing up, without losing your, your cool, without losing your... You know, yep. po posture and, you know, yeah. Because that's one thing that I, you know, yes, every engineer that, that is working, you know, will get put in a certain position to deal with certain situations. But it just seems like a lot of times, you know, maybe because of the places we go to, whatever, we just, we go through a lot. And, and I just feel that we learn a lot in those, those times. You know, we, we get put in those situations quite a bit. But, you know... It's how we handle it, I think, what's, what makes the difference, you know? I think it is. For sure. It's, it it's definitely has to be more the way that you handle it. So here's another one with uh, Cesar. Well, let me see. If any, I don't want to miss anybody here. Uh, Raul's got one for you, too. I want to hear you answer that one. Oh, really? Okay. You, uh, this, one's, this one's from Cesar, and it's for both of us, and then you do the Raul one for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, how do you guys feel about virtual concerts in the near future where the monitor mixer is doing his thing and the house mixer is on a truck mixing to a satellite? You want to go first? How do I feel about it? I think 
I think I would be fine with it. I mean, it's if that's what the situation is and that's where we have to go until we can get back into the Staples Center or Madison Square Garden. I'm still being creative. I'm still mixing music. People are on the other end enjoying it. I mean, part of the experience that I really love is being in the crowd. But there'd be a cert certain satisfaction with sitting in the truck, spinning up a really great mix that's going out to everyone to listen to and watch. It wouldn't bother me at all if that's what I had to do. Yeah, for me, it's funny you mentioned the, the audience part too. Obviously, most people relate relate with that fact being a front of house engineer. It's like, oh yeah, having the audience, can I feed from that too? And it's exciting, right? Oddly enough for me too, because this times where, depending on the design of the stage, if we're on a festival or whatever, and, and I'm completely blocked off and I don't see anybody from the audience. And it kind of like, not that it brings me down, but it kind of, it's not as exciting. So sometimes I have them cut it out and make like a little window just so I can see. And I know it sounds maybe, I don't know, stupid or whatever, but just so I can see the crowd going crazy and it just helps, I think it helps the, the whole experience because like you said, we're feeling the music as well. It's not just a technical job. And if it was just technical, it would be very boring, you know? And I think just feeling the, the vibe of the audience, feeling the vibe of the band and the artists and everybody, that all creates this really cool environment for everybody to work with, you know? And, and I don't know, I guess we have to enjoy it as well a little bit to be able to transmit that in, the, in our mixes, you know? Yeah, because it's the big picture yeah. in the end. It's everything. Yeah. It's and like Pyro and the audience and the artist, everything. And, you know, you and me, and it's, it's all of it. And that's something I, I envy in a good way that even though from, from my standpoint, I get to see the lighting show, and even though it looks so awesome there, I know it looks so much better from the front, you know? Uh, but, you know, that's just, those are the things, you know, depending on our position, but we get to enjoy certain areas, but then I get to, you know, interact maybe more direct with the band constantly or percussionist Jamar flipping me off or whatever, you know, always always doing something fun. But uh, going back very quickly to Cesar's question, yeah, I, I, I kind of see that that's where it's going also. And I, I wouldn't mind. I mean, my position will be probably the same. And just like he mentioned, it will be either, you know, all the front of house guys will probably end up in the truck just mixing for something that is going up in the air. But, um, I mean, how do we feel about it? I will say that if that's where it heads to, we'll do, we'll make the best of it. You know, we'll try to always create that experience for the performer as well as the, the audience, right? Yeah, exactly. So it'll be, said, an, it'll be a new challenge. Yeah, it will be, it will definitely be a new, a new stage of, of everything, right? And, and the way things are being done. But I think that's already changing as it is now, you know? And I think there's been some people doing like little tiny shows and they're broadcasting them already, you know, uh, as things are getting, as the lockdown is being a little more lenient, the people are just doing more uh, things online, you know? Um, Music is the universal language and you cannot stop it. Yep, that will go on forever. One thing that makes people feel good and it brings them together you know, we're all equal. If we could only get Zoom to have better audio, then we'll be kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Zoom, but please, come on. Get it together. Uh, <laughs> uh, you said Raul's had something, too? That's a question for you. Oh, okay. He says, do you chat directly to misbehaving artists during soundcheck 
via their IEMs? Uh, <laughs> Describe misbehavior. Yeah, that, that I was going to say. That's uh, you know, it's funny because short answer will be like yes, but the misbehaving part is it's very relative because, or it's it's a. Uh, you know, it really depends on the person receiving the direction. Like, I've worked with artists where I, I've heard stories before of perhaps how difficult they were. And then when I start working with them, they're like the nicest, coolest people ever. Like, no issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it has to do with how we receive those that direction. So, you know, if, if I was to, I'm not going to mention names, but if I was to say there was maybe one artist, maybe two that I've ever worked for that were difficult or maybe not as pleasant. But at the end of the day, they all deserve the same respect in my attention, you know. So I, I think it's important to uh, not get caught up on that. Like, we have to remember that they're the ones in front of 80,000 people. Uh, they get nervous just like anybody else. They're also wearing in ears, and in, in, in the heat of the moment, they might say something, and it comes out like yelling because that's just how it comes out. It's not necessarily them yelling at you, or or if they raise their voice, or they just their attitude is a little bit uh, stronger. It doesn't mean that they're coming down on you or nothing like that. Because if someone really wants to say something bad to you, they can say it in a very calm way. I don't think it's about that part. I think we try to serve as best as we can our artists with whatever um, issues they may be having during a show. And if, and if there's something that actually there was a line almost crossed or crossed or, or some kind of discrepancy or disagreement, I personally like to tackle them right away. Like, show's over, and let's go talk, it, let's go talk about it. What happened? Do you feel that it was something um, that I did? Is it something that you just didn't, you want me to fix? Or, you know... I don't like leaving it for the next show because then both sides, meaning myself and the artist, could be brewing on it, could just be thinking about it all day long, next day until they see it, see, we see each other again. Um, I'm very fortunate that I'm working with great artists lately. I'm incredibly happy and, and blessed with that. Enrique is amazing to work for, uh, and he knows what he wants. If, he's, if he has an issue with something, he has no problem telling me, and and... And same, you know, same with me. We have developed uh, uh, a lot of trust with each other. So we're, we're able to have conversations after a show. If he had an issue that he couldn't get to a talk back and talk to me, he'll text me and we'll talk about it. Or if he has an issue on stage, he'll tell me on the talk back. And, and I wouldn't consider that like a misbehavior. It's just he needs something done at that moment in particular. And I think it's important that we realize that, that not take it as... And this goes for any artist with any engineer. If they have a request and it sounds like it's, it, there's pressure or there's immediacy needed, not take it as, oh, my God, they're being so rude. Or, oh, my God, they're being just dicks or a bitch or whatever. No. Like, there's, there's, uh, uh, it's important to know that we need to consider what their position is. It's like they're in the heat of the moment. They're in the lion pit in front of everybody. They don't have time to be like, walk on eggshells or be super nice, you know? So I think, or, or it could be that you're just there to say, Hey man, you're, you're doing a great job. Everything is good. Kick ass. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes some artists just need to turn around and see that you're there and paying attention. 
I, I had a, a very funny anecdote where when I first started with Smash Mouth, uh, you know, I get there and they were short. Like, I think we're playing like a uh, some kind of festival or something, but they were they were short by like 16 inputs on the console for what I needed. Um, and obviously I'm not there to cause any waves. So I'm like, okay, someone please find me somewhere in this venue, like a 16 channel board. And I'll just submix some stuff, send it back to the console. I just make it work. And I did that. Hopefully right in time when the guy showed up, they show up, we sound check and everything. And they're all happy. You know, we, they asked for a couple of things. Everything's cool. But as usual, you know, sound checks are sound checks. And when the show starts, you know, all hell breaks loose usually. So, the show starts, and, you know, drummer is like, oh, you know, this and that, keyboard player, whatever, you know. And at the time, the keyboards had, like, I don't know, ma uh, many channels instead of just a stereo pair. Uh, so it was hard for me to learn that quickly what is coming out of what. So I was a little slower then for that. So <clears throat> before I know it, as I'm looking, just I'm looking to the drummer just to see what he needs, literally at the beginning of the show, very quickly, and I'm talking about, a second, I just looked up real quick and I was gonna make the change. As I'm making the change, I look up and the singer, Steve, is already standing in front of me. <laughs> and he just goes, eyes on me, and just turned around and went over there. He wasn't rude, he wasn't an ass or nothing, he was just stern, I guess, if you wanna say it that way, and just letting me know, hey, I, you know, I, I, I'm in here now, like I need you to kinda pay attention to me for a second, because. Let's get through these first songs, you know, it's kind of, but that moment was a teaching moment for me because I learned now that I got to keep an eye on everybody, of course, singers when they start song, the show, and even if I'm going to drink water and I grab my bottle, I'm still like looking at them as I'm, <laughs> I don't, I don't turn around, I don't do things like that because you might miss a cue, you might miss a sign. Nowadays, of course, there are talkbacks all over the stage and it makes it a little easier, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I would never, I try my best to never take it as a personal attack, you know. Um, give him the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't that, because there's no reason to, especially when you're with artists for a long time and there's trust and, you know, like Gwen Stefani's amazing to work for, for as well and super nice, you know, thank yous and like, you know, and, and there's been other artists where they don't even want to know your name, they don't care who you are, they don't know who you are, and that's fine. If that's how they want to, you know, do their thing, that's fine. I don't take it personal. Uh, I just try. I try to develop that trust. And if if the situation allows for it, awesome. And if it doesn't, then I usually try to move on. I try to not. I like to be part of a, a team, a family. And, like, I want to be yeah. able to talk with my artists the same way I want them to talk to me if they have a problem. So, anyway, so that's. Huge part of it. I think, I think so. I mean, you have to have that develop that trust with the artists, like especially at monitors. I mean, yes, at front of house as well, and with artists that are very involved with the production sound, right, for the audience, of course. But with monitors, it's such a personal connection that you got to have that, uh, which brings me to this thing that we, we discussed before. I usually have a, a, a multi-view video screen with my artists, you know, and that allows me to see every camera angle pointing at them. And the cool thing with that is that I can see all their facial expressions. 
or I can see when they're backing away from the mic or getting closer when I don't have a visual from my position. But believe it or not, facial expressions or a concern for it allows me perfectly to know if something's wrong. And then I can literally go to the talkback and say, are you okay? And they might just go like this because they know I'm watching them. They might just go yeah. like this and I know, okay, they're fine. You know, they don't need to go to talk back for that or anything. But I guess answering uh, what Raul was saying, yes, I have direct communication with them on my talkback system as well as communication with the band members, uh, communication with Brad, all, all separated. So, and, and our backline texts. And so if anybody needs something or I need to communicate with them, I can communicate with them globally or individually. So there you go. Sorry, it was a long answer. But. Um, let's see. Oh, Jeff Subaru joined. What's going on, Subaru? Uh, let's see. Cesar, Cesar has another question. Yeah, this is a let's good see. one. You want to read it or you want me to read it? Go ahead and read it. Okay. And then I'll answer it. Okay. Regarding soundcheck, an empty big concrete venue with sound bouncing everywhere, how much of a difference? Is it when the human baffles come in? I'm sure everything gets tighter, but how do you go about doing soundcheck with such a big reflective space and then working with much less reflections once the show starts? That's a good question. It's a great question. First thing is I only want to hear the PA that's pointed at me, meaning the two hangs, subs, front fills any delays side hangs any of that shut everything off second i'm going to spend the time to eq the system and i'm not going to actually i'm not going to spend a lot of time eq in the system knowing that it's going to change uh things that things that are apparent in an empty venue it's going to be way brighter because of all the reflected surfaces it's colder during the day. So it's going to, it's going to sound a bit harsher. And so if the sound check sounds that way, because I so much, I know probably maybe one time out of a hundred shows that I mixed, did the venue ever get worse when it was full than when it was empty? Because maybe it was too hot. Maybe it was like a club gig and it was like 110 inside and it just, you know, the humidity and everything was God awful, but you kind of know you don't want to EQ the room when it's empty because it's a lot easier to take things out than it is to put them back when the room changes and the show starts. Another thing that I won't ever do is I'll bring the level up for a short amount of time just to make sure that everything is firing the way it needs to be. And then I'm going to turn it back down for the rest of the sound check because a loud bouncing, you know, empty cavernous room, there's no point in running my show at 101 or 99 for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour sound check. I just, I know that the things are going to get better. The room is going to tighten up. It's going to be warmer, so the sound is going to be warmer. It's not going to be as bright. And the low end is definitely going to tighten up. The subs are going to go from being, you know, from running around the room to all of a sudden they're going to be focused and punchy. 
So, and I guess that's pretty much it. I mean, one thing I will say that if the room is is bad when it's empty and it's bad when it's full, you're better off to never ever trying to beat the room with volume because you'll never win. You're better off mixing quieter so that you don't excite the room. But that's one thing you learn from experience, I think. Can't ever beat the room. Well, at that point, you have another issue, I guess, which is uh, the audience, the screaming people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's certain things that you just can't control. Yeah. And you just have to you have to deal with it. I mean, I've been in rooms where the first thing I do when I go into a venue is I'll ask the you know the house guys, hey, you know, if I've never been there, you know, hey, especially when it's empty and I'm you know, listening to music and I'm hearing these reflections. And I, so I'll ask the guy, Hey, how much of this is going to go away when people get in? Sometimes I get the answer I'm looking for. Sometimes I get the answer that you never want to hear is this room awful, no matter whether it's full or empty. There's nobody sounds good in here. Yeah. But I, I, we've been in places where they tell us that even ahead of time. Yep. And then we go there, you do your thing. And then the comments are, this place has never sounded that way, ever. So, so I think a lot of that, and it's a, very, it's a great compliment to get, I think. I, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people from the house engineers, and I think we've all made that mistake at some point, is that we, we try to fight the rooms with volume, and that just makes it worse. You know? Makes it worse. There's a certain sweet spot, and also there's a certain level where we don't want to just blow people's ears out anyways, but... If, if volume is not serving you well, why do it? In fact, Cesar made a, uh, even though he's the one who asked the question, he he told me a story about, uh, he was in a venue, remember Luna Park in Argentina? Uh, Luna, Luna yes, Park, yeah. So they they had, you know, th that place is not known for having amazing sound. So, but he walked in one day and I think one of the artists that he makes in the studio was performing there, if I'm not, hopefully I'm not making a mistake on, on the story, but he basically said that the sound was so good that he actually went to tell the guy, Why, how is it, this place is notorious for not being great sound, what, what are you doing? Was I just not not so loud? And he, he, he confirmed, it, it was quieter than normal, but you can hear everything. So hopefully he says that I'm not ruining your story, but but I'm sharing that with everybody else, and, and I think it's a good point to bring up for what you're saying, Brad. Yeah, loud is not better. It's just louder. Correct. Loud is not better. I love it's that. Just, and, you know, I've had those nights where the room was very excited, and I try to go to my, you know, my point in the show, and I'm like, nah, I'm just going gonna, gonna to bring it down, and it's better. And you do that, too, with Dynamics. You which is something we always talk about, that during the acoustic set, you kind of bring it down a hair, so when you go back to the main show part, it almost feels like it got louder, but it didn't really get louder. It's just that the acoustic part was a little quieter for a couple of reasons, I would assume, because now we're in front of the PA, yep. right? And also well, because it's a, dynamically, it's musical to come down a little bit, right? Yep, exactly. Just imagine if the wall was the same volume the whole way through the the record. Oh. It would be awful. Oh, it would be horrible. That's my 
That's my same philosophy when it comes to mixing a show. Yeah. Should never be the same level the, for the entire 90 minutes. Yeah, same with in-ears. For me to even, uh, well, besides trying to make a musical mix for everybody as much as possible, it's also a matter of like on the acoustic set, per se, right, since we're talking about that, it can be at the same volume that they're getting the loud songs. Like it, it, it just doesn't feel right. Like they're playing softer. If everything was so loud, then first of all, their ears will get fatigued very quickly or they're going to want the louder songs to be even louder. So it's, it's important that no matter what you're mixing, whether front of house, monitors, don't set it and forget it. That doesn't work, at least in my opinion, and it seems that for Brad either. Set it and forget it doesn't work. Create dynamics with... That's what the faders are there for, you know, kind of uh, create different scenes, different scenarios of what that part of the song is. Don't don't just leave it on because it just it's not musical that way, you know. Um, so anyway, that's what that's what I, I think with that. Um, I think Raul has another question here. I love it when they ask questions. I do, too. It's w- way cooler. Um, OK, Raul says Divins. When doing one-offs, not carrying your PA. Which what, is always. Yeah, basically every time. What is your personal approach with system engineers to get the PA response where you need it so you can deliver your mix correctly? Ah, I love this because I know what you're going to say, and I love this. Go ahead. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah, I, because we this is a discussion we always have about how your mix or any of our mixes translates when you put in the PA. Go ahead, please. I like all the components of the PA. I don't want the subs to be louder than everything else. I want to see my linear, my response to be slightly tilted uh, and everything to be even and smooth all across the board. I want my subs to be even when it goes, you know, when I walk from one side of the room to the other. Uh, But I guess... You know, my personal approach is I would let the systems engineer do their thing. Let them do what they do to the PA. And then if, you know, something's jumping out at me, I'll ask questions and, you know, or I'll say, hey, can we try this or try that? And, you know, then I'm going to put the Pink Floyd on and that's going to tell me if the system is where it needs to be. But I guess, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess just talking to the systems engineer explain to them what I'm looking for and then listening to what they're doing. You know, I mean, I've got smart running or not smart, but it's the waves plug in, you know, on the S six is the, is the PAS analyzer. I know what my mix is doing. That's what should be coming out of the PA, the same sort of response. So I probably didn't say what you thought I was going to say. Did no, I? you, you, no, you didn't. And you know what? Shame on you. And no, I'm just kidding. So, so no, but I, something I remember—you were along the lines, but you've you've explained it a little different in other occasions, where very similar to what you said, though. But there's a lot of people who 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 like have the so much sub on the PA that they're like high passing so much everything, and they're cutting lows on every channel, like it, it's it's crazy. Like they're they're not really using their channel strip EQ. To do what they're supposed to do, just to you know, if you want to be able to add forty hertz or fifty, you should be able to add it on a channel. But when yeah. you have your master sub fader it, so loud, you have no headroom to do that. You end up cutting all kinds of stuff. 
And I think that balance uh, is where sometimes there's, there's a mistake. In festivals, you go in a festival and the PA is tilted with just low end. Like, the first thing you do is you have to cut everything, you know? And 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 it's 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 just a, a view of how people think it should be. They just think that having a lot of low end in a mix well, is... Well, you know, and is, I... Way back when I did garbage, and it, it was what goes to the festival situation. Sometimes I didn't get to hear the PA until the band that was on before us yeah. was playing. So my only reference is whatever that guy's doing and how you know what the PA sounds like. So I started putting, you know, I started putting subs on a matrix. So I had left, right, front fill, sub, or left, right, sub, front fill, so that I could always just take away the sub or add it. I didn't, I didn't have to go to my individual channels or high pass or, you know, change anything on my mix. With the matrix, the sub being on the matrix, I could just bring it down. And nine times out of ten, it was too much sub every single time. Yeah. I mean, I like all the PA. Subs to me are just a low-end extension of what's in the air. At least that's how I see it. No, and that's – listen, to, to, that, to that note, too uh, – when I was mixing from the house a lot more than I'm doing now, I used to at least, especially in a festival situation or, or you know, whatever where you don't have time, I would at least not demand but truly ask and say, "Look, before we go on during the changeover, if I can at least allow me to play the house music or allow me to play one song of my songs as the house music, and I will connect my my iPod or whatever, boom." And play one of my songs that I usually will use to EQ the PA, and I could immediately tell if something was was not right, or at least, of course, I'm talking broad strokes here, not not like fine tuning, but like, okay, there's a lot of sub here, right? And I will either make sure that I had control of the sub on the matrix, like you said, or I will just go ahead and start EQing that. Having that curve that I like. Did I bore you, Brad? Are you leaving? I need some light. It's getting oh, dark. Oh, we gotta see Bradley Dean. So, so then what I, what I will do, having the curve that I like, even with that song that I was playing, I knew that I, I could eyeball, this is the analog days too, a lot of times, I could eyeball where I needed my, my EQs and everything, and I knew it would kind of translate as close as possible, you know, but by not having that PAB tilted so much with sub, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, those are all things to consider. Like we, we you know, we got to have that one moment of, of things that we know when we do them, how we do them, because we know how it's going to translate. We can't tailor the whole mix to fit a PA. No. It makes it the same mix wherever we go. You tailor the PA to what to your mix. Correct. So Every it, it's like time. me having to EQ everything to all these different in-ears or, or different transmitters. for in Like, this is the mix. You know, yes, am I going to alter a couple of things? Of course, you know, but I can't just change the whole curve. If I'm changing the whole curve, that means it's something odd, you know. Yep. So that applies, of course, to, to both of us. But I think the minute I have to go to a channel strip and do something that I normally wouldn't do, I say, I stop and I'm like, wait a minute, it's the PA. You know, but that's, I think that's more from experience. Yeah. You know, the more you do it, well, you know, your desk is dialed in. You know, you're gonna focus all your all your uh, time on the getting the PA right. Yeah, I mean the same with the gains. We haven't changed gains in years now at this point. You know, I mean for this show is what I mean. You know, 
Shramo, Eric Shram is here. What's going on? Monty Craver. We've got a nice audience here today, man. Yes, we do. Dan Kenny. What's up, Dan? Michael is on here. Who? Michael. Michael Pearson oh, Adams. Yeah. Nice. Sorry I missed your uh, quarantine on Friday. Leonardo is here as well. Eduardo Bernal. Scott. Oh, yeah, Scott Helix. Did we pass any questions? Is there another question, I think, from... I see. What's your, what's your go-to Pink Floyd track? Hmm. I don't know. I could listen to just about anything from The Wall. <laughs> Actually, my go-to track would be Listen to The Wall in its entirety. Which that that's be, what we should do right after this. What's that? That's what we should do right after this. As we're making dinner, just start it, let it play. You can only listen to that record from start to finish. Yeah. It's yep. pretty badass. Uh, Cesar is asking me, uh, Eddie, so how did you choose to become a monitor engineer? <laughs> That's a good question. Why does Michael <laughs> P.A. say, I can't see you? Where? I don't know. The comment is, I can't see you. But I don't know if it's, I can't see you or I can't see me. I don't know. Uh, so how do I, how did you become how, a monitor? How did I choose ready? to become did a monitor? Well, funny enough, I didn't choose it. Uh, I was mostly front of house engineer, a front of house engineer and a studio mixing engineer. But, um, as I, you know, as mostly with in-ears, uh, you know, people kind of wanted to hear different things. You know, and I start doing mixes for certain people under in ears, and they start liking it. And I think having a front of house in the studio experience helped give them a better experience in the in ears because I think that transition from wedges or side fills for a lot of artists was really hard. For a lot of guitar players, it was really hard. Guitar players that have amps mic'd up, and then they will get it in the ears. For them, it just sounded horrible, no matter what you did. You know, so I think I think having that approach of and the experience of a studio engineer and a front of house guy kind of gave me a little bit of a upper hand to be able to deliver that kind of sound for them and and in ears. And I don't know, I just people just started kind of, I guess, putting the word out and they just started calling me for that. But I I used to be just a front of house engineer, not just, but meaning, you know, that's what I was focused on because that's what I like. I like focusing on the production side, effects, and and you know parallel processing, doing all this cool stuff that for the most part you either don't get to do or you you don't do as much as monitors. Now, nowadays, of course, with the technology we have, I'm able to do a lot of those things while I'm mixing monitors, especially for artists or musicians backing up artists that want to hear that kind of sound, a little bit more of a CD kind of mix or something more balanced, you know. Uh, there are other musicians that just like something more like a utility mix where it's just very basic information for them just to kind of get through the gig. But the reality is, uh, I think when I became an official monitor engineer with, with, you know, I did Smashma for a while, but I did front of house for them as well, but I did monitors for them as well when we needed it. And, you know, I, uh, um, you know, Tear for Fears was the, I think the, the one that basically from that point forward, I just stayed at monitors, you know. So that was a cool gig to do that because it was a lot of, 
great music, great production value. The music is incredible, as you guys all know. So, yeah. That's how and why, I guess. Um, if you go to Juan Camilo, everybody's here. Scott Helix, Scott Helix. Uh, oh, what is this? Another another Pink Floyd song. What's the magic behind your Santis song, Pink Floyd track, right? The magic behind the song is that it's Pink Floyd. Yeah. That's exactly. the magic. Dynamics and a beautiful song and a great mix. That's it. It's it's what I like to listen to. I should when when I put this video on YouTube, I should probably call it the Pink Floyd <laughs> edition, episode three, Pink Floyd. We're talking about Pink Floyd. Let's talk about <laughs> Pink Floyd today. That's cool. Next, though. I mean, I mean, what what else? It could be worse. What's up, Brad? Sorry, I cut you off. What's that? ACDC, Bon Scott or yeah. Brian Johnson? Oh, who do you like? They both have I, their thing, though. I like both, but yeah. I like Bon Scott. Well, if we're going to do that, then it's like saying, you know, well, you know, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar, then we're going to open this whole other kind of worms, too. You know? Yeah, I like Malcolm and Angus. Okay, there you go. Yep. So, uh, you know, something we didn't talk about yet. What's that? The fact that there's other Sonic Ninjas about. Oh, yeah. I just found that out. Literally half hour before we went on, I, I was gonna like try to open a, like an Instagram account or, and I, I I couldn't because there is one already. We're gonna look further into that, but we might be changing our name just so we don't get in trouble. We don't want to step on anybody's toes. So, if you guys have any ideas of what we should be called, hey, bring it. Bring it. <laughs> I'm a little worried about that though. Opening opening that door. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we everyone I likes us. Costello, maybe I don't know what they're gonna call us. I don't know. <laughs> uh, see, let's see. Uh, Eric Schramm, he's got a question for you, Bradley Dean. Okay, bring uh, it out. Er Eric Schramm is an amazing guitar player from from the Bay Area, and I I know him for twenty plus years, and great friend of mine. Um, I got a question for Brad. When when there's a guitar solo or instrument feature at the intro. Or in a specific part of a song, will you push it forward in the mix to where the lead vocal will sit? I will definitely push it to where the lead vocal would sit, and sometimes I will push it even further than that. Just depends on what is going on, what type of, you know, part it is. I've been known to turn the guitars up just a tiny bit louder than maybe they should be, but <laughs> dynamically. It's it's the dynamics that I'm looking for. Well, that's that's the rock and roller in you. I think it is. Because you that's I think, you know when when you started with you know with with us with Enrique whatever that that you you know it's more of a pop thing but you added that rock element to it and I think that's something that they they were looking for as well and, and I think they really enjoy it. I think Enrique likes that. Carlos, I know, likes that as well. And and the guys are great players. I mean, come on. We have Van Romain on drums. He played with Steve Morris. I mean, can you get any more rock heavy than that? Yeah. Killer drummer, consistent. Oh, yeah. The same every night. What more could you ask for? Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid to turn the guitar up. I'm sure Jeff and Jason love that right now. They're like, yeah. 
We yeah, one of, I had the pleasure of mixing the cult for a while. Oh. You want to talk about some loud guitar? Whew. And it was just so good that you just wanted it to be loud. When you get Billy Duffy sitting here and Ian is just a little bit above Billy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that was loud guitars, man. And no, no campers, no fractals, just amps. Yeah. Mic it up. I like amps, but you know what? I've gotten used to the digital thing, and I, I don't mind it one bit. I, I don't mind at all because it's consistent wherever we go. Exactly. You know, when I was garbage, it was all digital. And they're better now too. Every, I mean, they get better every day, man. It's like those those sounds. I mean, I believe that uh, not the song that we heard at the beginning of the transmission, the Jeff song, but the new one that I just mixed a few days ago. If I'm not mistaken, he told me that he all the guitars are Kemper. Come on, look behind me. Do you think I like guitars? I don't know. I'm not sure. What I, is the thing? What is that black one? That looks like it has a... What is what? that? that? That's not a guitar, though. It's too big for a guitar. Is that a guitar? Uh-oh. Don't trip there, Bradley Dean. Talking about this? What is that? That's my 12-string bass. What? Yeah. Hammer 12 string. Play that thing. Let's see if we can hear a little bit of it. <laughs> wow. That can you hear that? Awesome. Yeah. Be careful, Carlos. He's playing with a pick. Watch out. There you go. That sounds killer, dude. That's today. You just, I'm sorry. You just got it? playing this today oh you're playing this today. are you recording yeah. it i was recording this through a fender basement nice fender basement on about seven have you tried yeah. this thing to that pedal that you got the the oh the doug Pennick pedal Doug pedal that's my next Ooh. thing or record both record both and blend them in oh my god yep wow that thing i never seen a 12 string bass it's fun to tune yeah, I can imagine. I'm sure that I'm sure guitar tech would love it. Yeah. Well, I've had it since '96, and I changed the strings one time. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. It sounds good. I mean, even what we're hearing through the mic sounds good. Yeah. It's like a big piano. If you get the you get a nice clean sound blended with a nice distorted sound, it sounds like King's X. I love it. So here's another question from Cesar. Tell us about the gear you guys have at home, monitors, etc. Um, uh, uh, you want to start there, Brad, or you want me to start? What's that? What gear, Cesar is asking what gear we have at home, uh, monitors, etc. Uh, I've got a pair of JBL 708s and the 75s for my studio monitors. I've got some warm audio gear. I've got the WA273 EQ. I've got the 412 and a warm audio 2A, which is their version of an LA2A. The UAD8 for my interface. And then some other universal audio satellites and Apollos and a couple of Raven touchscreens. And then a microphones and whole bunch of amps and guitars and basses. I see the guitars a lot a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> I have I'm I'm using Pro Tools HDX as well. 
Um, I have the the real time rack here. I have an Apollo Twin. I have, of course, the Avid interface, 16 in, 16 out. I don't know if I said the C24 controller for Pro Tools. Um, a dangerous two bus LT for summing, which I haven't been using lately. I'm doing everything in the box. I have a finalizer for those who remember that. Um, I have a couple API pre's. Um, the 512 lunchbox, the Vintech 573s, DBX 560s, uh, the Neve 511, and a Shutter Heels mic pre as well. Speakers, JBL 705s, sound great. And then the Focal speakers as well, the Alpha 80s, I believe they are. Um, yeah, Warm Audio W2A in the 76 as well as the uh, the 47 microphone that they make, which is pretty amazing. So uh, I have the Slate microphone as well, the with all the emulations, just like Brad does too. DPA mics. DPA mics. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what we use here. I mean, we're mostly, I guess, I mean, Washer, well, you've been tracking a lot, but lately I've been mostly mixing. Any tracking that I do is, you know, uh, the stuff that I recorded with my wife that we're doing the songs for licensing and things. So, so yeah, let's see. Let's see. That's the gear that we have. Um, let's see, Eric Fraser showing. Oh, this one's from Raul. You're going to like this one. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say too, don't you? I have a feeling. Bradley Dean, what band would you like to mix on an analog console? Gee, I wonder what that would band would be. <laughs> it's going to be Pink Floyd, of, of course. course. I would say Pink Floyd, The Stones, ACDC, Aerosmith. Any of those classic rock bands, but Pink Floyd, definitely number one. And if I couldn't have Pink Floyd, I'll take Roger Waters. That would be awesome. I think you would do great at that, too. Yeah. But I wonder if you'll be able to stop like giggling and like shaking and stuff. You're, you're such a fan, you know? See, that's the beautiful part of it. I know that music so well. Mm, it would that, be so much. It, with your eyes so, closed, you'd just be like. I would just be like a kid in a candy store. I'd be warm and fuzzy. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe that's, that's a good opportunity to uh, start wrapping this up. We have a... a we had some great questions today, and I think it was pretty cool that everybody joined us or whoever joined us. We appreciate it. I like having the questions. I love having the questions. Um, you know, a lot, today this, there was a lot of activity online today as well, so I'm sure a lot of people are going to watch this after, after you know, we wrap it up and they'll watch it later, you know. Uh, and that's fine with us, you know, as long as you guys watch it and hopefully you get something out of it and, and have fun just, like, you know, like we do talking about these things. So... Um, I think, uh, we're going to give him another surprise from Bradley Dean. Since we're talking about Pink Floyd, I think we should, uh, should I do it or should I not do it, Bradley? Go ahead, do it. You, you think I should do it? This whole episode has been about Pink Floyd. Why stop now? Yeah. You know what? You might be right. Right? You might be right. So anyway, thank you everybody. Brad, I love you. You're the best. Me too, man. I will go to war with you any day. And uh, hopefully we'll see everybody on episode four. We may be called Sonic Ninjas, or we may not be. So whoever's watching out there, if you come up with a new name, 
Let's see what happens. Maybe we'll just come up with a middle name. Yeah. Something in the middle just to change it up. Well, let's think about that. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Ciao. See y'all. Thanks for watching. We'll leave you here with a little surprise by Bradley Dean. can tell heaven from hell blue skies from pain can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail a smile from a veil do you think you can tell did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts hot ashes for trees hot air for a cool breeze cold comfort for change did you exchange a walk on part in the war for lead role in a cage Well how I wish How I wish you were here We're just two lost souls Swimming in a fishbowl Year after year Running over the same old ground Where have we found same old fear Wish you were here